Okay, so this is kind of a, um, a an icebreaker. Um, this is a, a cartoon I found uh, that said, I'm a performance piece entitled The Probate Experience. And he's stretching, as you can see, he's not in a very comfortable position. Next slide. So what does the term, we're gonna talk about what does the term probate really mean? What is required to successfully probate a will? I know everybody always hears these horror stories. Oh, we're gonna to have to go to probate. You know, it's gonna be terrible, it's gonna be expensive, and we're gonna talk about whether that's really true or not. Um, in the many instances where you're gonna come across uh, an inheritance property, there is not gonna be a will. Um, so then what do you do? So what documents do you need? to transfer the title. Um, we're gonna talk at length on that. Uh, why ownership by deceased individuals causes problems with title transfers? There's all kinds of reasons. Uh, we're also gonna talk about the state of Texas's role in determining ownership of property of a deceased person. Because if there's no will, the state of Texas has a huge uh, part in how title is gonna transfer. And then how Medicaid might play a part in your closing. That's becoming more and more common. So we're gonna talk about that. Next slide. So probate basics, next slide. So what is probate? It's generally defined as the legal process of administering the estate of a deceased person. In the process of that, generally it resolves all claims against the deceased estate and it uh, accomplishes distributing the deceased person's property, including their real property. Next slide. So why invest in probate? Um, there's a lot of pros. It's, it can be one of the most lucrative niches in real estate investing because uh, statistics show 80% of all properties left to the family will get sold within one year. Most family members, do not want to hold on to a property that they've in, they've inherited. Um, they want to get money out of it and move on. They almost always want to sell. Occasionally you get some family members that still have sentimental uh, value, you know, feel a sentimental value to the property, but that's the minority. Uh, and also they generally don't want to invest to make the properties more attractive to sell on sell for retail. So they're really uh, quite often more willing to sell at wholesale. The cons, it can be, and I just need to warn you about this. You know, I have people bring, bring deals into me and say, oh, we want to close this week. Uh, and oh, by the way, uh, this guy, uh, his mother owned the property and she's, she passed away. So I immediately tell them, okay, we'll do our best to close it this week, but we have to investigate the circumstances of the owner's death and it can be very time consuming. I, I'll tell you, I worked on one file uh, for over a year, getting all the required family members to sign off on the documentation we need. So, and also you're often dealing with multiple sellers, family members, and each one of them has their own personality and their own agenda. And title issues on, in, on uh, inheritance properties 
are quite common and can uh, be difficult to get resolved. So next slide. And this is another little uh, thing I found. They're in the lawyer's office. He's got the will. All the witches are sitting around and says, on the face of it, it sounds great that she left me her house, but it has gone stale and what Hansel and Gretel didn't eat, the birds have had a go at. Next slide. So where do you find these probate leads? Um, well, real estate attorneys and title attorneys like myself, I come across those quite often and if, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I will pass those on to my clients, accountants, and other professional executors um, because the executors are trying to sell the property. Wills and estates attorneys, the same thing. Commercially produced lists, like, just like Real Estate IQ, very good source. And then this final one is kind of morbid, but I've had more than one wholesaler tell me that they read the obituaries and they follow up on the properties of the deceased. Okay, marketing to the estate. Next slide. Next slide. So some marketing techniques, they're really very similar to other wholesaling techniques that you guys use all the time. You can tell them you can do a quick close, uh, assuming that all the family members are willing that you're gonna pay all the fees. And now I would warn you about paying all the fees. I would say that you would pay all the normal fees. You don't know what the cost is going to be to get the title to where it can be transferred. Like I said, I worked on one for over a year and my fee was over $5,000 to get that all done. Um, and that you can do a cash transaction. Now you have to be careful because uh, it can be a very emotional transaction for the heirs. I've had tears going on in my closing room where, they were, where two daughters were selling their mother's house. I mean, I've had uh, angry people in my uh, closing office where they felt they were essentially uh, forced into it by their siblings. Uh, so you have to be prepared for that. It really, you're offering assistance with the resolution of legal issues involving the property transfer. So you kind of have to be, I, I tell my clients, you kind of have to be a social worker. You have to uh, be willing to help these people and deal with, their, deal with their issues while we're trying to get the transaction closed. All right, next slide. Okay, the probate processes. Okay, so uh, le the legal process. This is, this is what I'm the most familiar with. Uh, so the, what's the legal process when you have a will, when the deceased had a will? So the first thing is you have to have the original will. That's not always easy to find. I had a transaction where the man care, didn't trust anybody, carried his legal documents around in his car in a lockbox, and what happened? His will was in there, and what happened? It got broken into and stolen. So you have to have the original. So I always tell the people I'm helping with their wills, please 
leave one with your attorney, leave one with a, an original, with a person you trust, and then you retain one so that we can always find the original. So you submit the original to the probate court in the county where the individual died. Doesn't matter where the property is, doesn't matter if they really had a permanent residence in California, if they died in Dallas County, that's where the probate should be filed. And so it's really a, a lawsuit. You're filing a legal petition to have the court, the probate court approve the will. So people tell me all the time, oh, I have the will. They, oh, they died four years ago, but I have the will. And I say, well, was it ever probated? And they say, well, no. I said, well, a will that is not probate, ever probated uh, is worthless after four years. You only have four years to probate a will. And after that, it's, it's, it's as if the deceased died without a will. So that totally changes everything. So once we submit the will to the probate court, a hearing date gets set and it's generally about 30 days out in Dallas County. In smaller counties, it can be a lot quicker. Then we go to a hearing, the attorney and the executor both appear before the judge. The executor gives oral testimony as to the specifics of the will. The attorney will ask them, uh, what's the deceased name? When did they die? Um, who are you, were you named as the executor? That sort of thing. The judge just allows you to make those, do those questions and then that's really all you have to do. Next slide. So following that hearing, assuming that the judge approves the will, the judge will have its clerk issue letters of testamentary to the executor. What letters of testamentary are, they authorize the exec executor to act under the will, including having the power to sell the property. Now you can also do a short form type of probate where the only real asset of the deceased was this real property. And that is filed, it's a little separate lawsuit, but it's filed as what's called a muniment of title. So the judge, then we still have a hearing, but then the judge says, okay, this, this order that I'm about to give is gonna act as evidence of title for the beneficiary. And then you have to get a certified copy of the probate application and the will recorded in the real property records of wherever the property is. So the probate may have taken place in Alice County, but the property is in Tarrant County. So you have to get this certified copy of the, the uh, probate application and will that was done in Dallas County and recorded in the real property records in Tarrant County. That's because uh, title examiners, they don't search court records. They search the real property records. So we have to get everything that uh, pertains to the title over into the real property records. Okay, next slide. Okay, so here's another. He's a bastard and barely knew our father. So this is like a family reunion. Um, okay, so that's with a will and a probate hearing and whatnot. So now let's go to the next slide and talk about intestate succession. Next slide. Okay, the legal process where there is no will, 
uh, is governed entirely by the Texas Estates Code, which is one of the uh, codified laws in the state of Texas. It specifically sets out who the heirs of the deceased individual uh, are based upon the family situation of the deceased and the nature of the property, separate or community. So it's just like, it's gonna tell you exactly based upon the specifics of the family situation of the deceased, who's gonna get the property. If someone is a deceased is married with children all from the same marriage, that is the ideal situation, by the way. Uh, if it's community property, all goes to the surviving spouse. So they get everything. If it's separate property, then two thirds go to the children and one third to the surviving spouse. We're talking about the interest of the deceased. Now, if they're married with children and any of the children are not from the current spouse, okay, in other words, it's a blended family. He was married before, she was married before, stepchildren, half siblings, all that sort of thing. That gets a little hairy because uh, in a lot of instances, the first family does not have good feelings toward the second family. Um, and there's not a lot of contact between them. But if a, a person dies married with children and there, he has multiple children from multiple spouses, then you have to get everybody, all those children involved in this process. Uh, if it's community property, half of it is retained by the surviving spouse and half of it goes to the children. Again, if it's separate, two thirds to the children and one third to the surviving spouse. So if they're married and have no children, uh, if it's community property, all goes to the surviving spouse. If it's separate, uh, the parents get a portion of it. Okay, let's go to the next slide. And then finally, if you're unmarried with no children, that's when it starts getting a little more complicated. The general order of succession is, goes to the father and mother, if they're alive. If not, goes to the siblings, brothers and sisters. And then if there are no brothers and sisters, then you're talking about half to your paternal cousins and half to your maternal cousins. Um, so that, and I have dealt with that situation before. If you're, if you, the deceased is unmarried with children, then it just is divided equally among all children. And the children of any deceased, um, you know, brother or sister uh, also take their parents' share. Next slide. Okay, so when you don't have a will involved, then here are the documents that you need to get this property transferred over into your name. We've got to have a certified copy of the death certificate of the deceased to establish that they're actually dead. That is a, that is a requirement of every title underwriter of every uh, different title company you're gonna come across. And then this is the common document that's involved, an affidavit of heirship. It's an affidavit that gets signed by a family member stating the facts regarding the life of the deceased their birth date, any marriages, all their children, their debts. Uh, it's generally prepared by an attorney or the title company. 
And what we do is we send out a questionnaire. We call an airship questionnaire to, to the family member that's trying to sell the property and ask them to complete it to the best of their ability. And you know, sometimes, and we still, we have to have a lot of information even if that particular person doesn't know it. So they'll say, oh, I don't know, I don't know, but that does, we can't uh, underwrite uh, someone's uh, interest in a property by we don't know. So I have a lot of uh, genealogy websites. I have a lot of search websites that we try to help the family members uh, come up with that information. Like I said, it's prepared by the title company or an attorney, and it has to be corroborated by two independent non-related parties. In other words, the deceased uh, son-in-law is not necessarily um, an independent party. Can't be, it really can't be a family member. Uh, they have to have known them for 10 years uh, where they can actually say that they know that the family situation of the deceased is what is being said. I had one guy come in a few years ago um, and he said, well, um, this guy, this, this gentleman right here will corroborate. Well, he was, the gentleman was about 25 and the, his wife had died about 23 years before. And I said, so, so you were two years old when this woman died. I don't, and you are saying you knew her for 10 years. So, you know, uh, you don't get a lot of things by your title companies. They, they are looking at it to make sure everything makes sense. And the other thing I would say is there apparently is some form out there, some printed form out there that I don't know if it's the appraisal district or who, will give you, which is purports to be an affidavit of airship. But that is not sufficient for any title underwriter to insure a buyer that they are the owner of the property, that the person who's claiming to deed the property is the owner. I've told people don't, don't use those, consult an attorney, but everybody's trying to save money. So they end up having to go back and redo it. Then we get deeds. Okay, then we get deeds from, once we've got the affidavit of airship, we, um, we uh, look that over and determine under the state's code who has to deed the property to the buyer. So then we get deeds from all the legal heirs and have them executed. So um, that's what takes a lot of time is um, sometimes those legal heirs are not easy to locate. I've worked on a number where there are siblings all over the United States. One recently, he didn't even have, he, he didn't have an email he didn't have a regular phone number or address. So we had to figure out a way to track him down with his siblings help to get him to sign this deed over. And of course, they're all, a lot of times they're like, well, what are you gonna pay me to do it? And you know, that just, that's 
back to the investor. What is it worth to you to uh, get this property? A lot of times it's such a good deal that the investor may pay some of the costs of it and do some of the searching and whatnot because like we said before, um, these type of inheritance properties can be very lucrative. I had one at one time that um, he's, I don't know if he's still a home investor franchisee, but at that time he was. And we even had to go to a court hearing because we had not only do affidavits of airship, but it turns out one of the legal heirs was a minor. Well, minors cannot sign deeds uh, under the law. So we had to go to court to have a court say that his mother could sign the deed on his behalf and, and receive his portion of the proceeds, which had to be then put into the registry of the court that we were having the hearing at until the minor became 18. But anyway, it ended up costing, the legal fees were, by the time we did all that, they were about $2,500, $3,000. And the investor paid all of that. And then when we finally got everything done, he came back to me about less than a month later with a sale where he was gonna profit after my fees and everything else, he profited about $30,000. So it was certainly worth it to him to pay those costs. And that's something you guys just have to determine for yourselves about whether it's worth it or not. Now the other, the last thing I wanna say about that is all the, once we determine who the heirs are, then we have to have their names searched to see if there are any liens, judgments, bankruptcies, um, anything that would affect the title because they are now the legal owner. I mean, essentially they were the legal owner as soon as the deceased passed away. It's just it right that what we're doing is documenting who the legal owner is. So then we have to search their names. So I've had many situations where there's four or five children and um, we have to search their names and one of, invariably one of them has a big child support lien or one of them has a federal tax lien or a, those are the most common. And so they essentially what happens there is usually the judgment creditors and even the attorney general and the IRS will accept that person's share of any proceeds. So essentially that person then loses all their share of the proceeds to pay off the liens against them. Okay, next slide. Other issues. Okay, I'm gonna, there's one on the slide and then there's one I'm gonna to talk to you about, about taxes, but let's talk about Medicaid first. There is, the Medicaid Estate Recovery Program is very active now. Medicaid can make a claim against the estate of a deceased recipient for covered long-term care services when either the recipient was over 55, when they got the services, or they apply, and they applied for Medicaid on or after March 1st, 2005. That was the date that this 
recovery program was passed into law. So what we have to do there, if we, if we even suspect that anyone received Medicaid payments, then we have to send a certification signed by the next of kin uh, authorizing us to get a certification from Medicaid to see if they intend to make a claim and if they do in what amount. Had one where another home investor franchisee that I closed for uh, had that situation come up uh, and essentially Medicaid came back and said well we're going to make a claim for $75,000 when the sales price was only $50,000. So at initially the client said, oh, well, then it's not even worth it. But there are exceptions. And so we looked at the deal and um, the exceptions are if there's a surviving spouse or a child under 21 or a blind or permanently disabled child, that really wasn't our exception. The value of the state is 10,000 or less, or the claim is 30,000 or less, they will make an exception. Um, this one is the one that saved our transaction. An unmarried child residing continuously in the home for one, at least one year before the death of the Medicaid recipient. So the daughter who was trying to sell the house had been living with her mother for two or three years. And so we went back to Medicaid and said, okay, we're requesting an exception because of this situation. And they came back and, and gave us that exception and gave us clearance to sell without uh, paying their claim. And then of course, if the cost of the sale is greater than the value, obviously they're not gonna make a claim. Next slide. So it's almost like this. He, uh, Uncle Sam is standing right there in the, I guess the emergency room or whatever, and he says, I'm here to recoup my Medicaid payments. And it does happen fairly quickly if they know of a, of, a, of a deceased. So if you, like you're supposed to, whenever someone's receiving Social Security or whatever, you have to notify Social Security that they've passed away, then that gets passed on to Medicaid. So let me also, it's not in my slides, but let me also mention something about taxes. And I'm talking about property taxes. Okay, so when a person turns 65 in the state of Texas, they have a couple of options regarding their property taxes. One, they can apply for a, and what's called an over 65 exemption on their homestead. And that re reduces their taxes quite a bit. And it also freezes their school taxes. Now my husband is, I, I was a child bride of his and he's now 86. I'm not near that. Uh, <laughs> but he's, so he's been on, he's been over 65 for over 20 years. So our school tax, we, we certainly applied for that and our school taxes have been frozen, thankfully, ever for over 20 years. Um, the other thing you can do as an over 65 person if you own your home free and clear, then you can go to the appraisal district and say to them, I want to no longer pay my property taxes. And they will give you an affidavit to sign. 
and that from that point forward, they will not foreclose you for not paying your property taxes. The public policy being that a, over 65 living on a fixed income shouldn't lose their house because they can't pay their property taxes. So essentially the taxing jurisdictions give, make you a loan at 8% interest every year. Now those taxes are not forgiven, they have to be collected at some point. And it's whenever that person dies that has the exemption, that's when they have to be collected. And so when you have a closing, you wanna make sure that that hasn't occurred, or if it has, that the title company collects all those back taxes from the seller. The other thing you need to pay attention to is uh, if they, not, not that they have the affidavit that they don't have to pay any taxes, but let's say they had the over 65 exemption, then they pass away in say 2015. And then uh, some, uh, the, the children finally get around to wanting to sell the house in 2020. Well, the taxing jurisdictions don't know that someone has passed away unless someone tells them. Um, so if nobody tells them and they just continue paying at the over 65 rate, then when you go, when, when your seller goes to sell the property, the affidavit of airship is gonna get filed or the probate, certified copy of the probate is gonna get filed at that time. Well, as soon as that's gonna work its way over from the recorder's office over to the tax office, and they're going to reassess the last five years at the full rate, and that has to be collected. And a lot of title, you gotta be careful because a lot of title agents will miss that. And guess what? Uh, after you've owned the property for six months, all of a sudden you get a letter from the tax office that says you owe us so many thousands of dollars. I had one of my good friends uh, who is an investor who, who learned her lesson of not closing, of closing with me and not, not closing with me. She bought a property from the children of a deceased. The closer there did not collect the taxes they also did not prorate based upon the non over 65. The, the children got paid all the money. Then my friend went and rehabbed her house, got ready to sell it about six months later. And when she went to sell it, the new office said, oh, well, you have to pay all these reassessed taxes before, you can before we can close. So she ended up losing about $4,000. Um, so she was telling me about it. And I said, okay, pay me $500 and I'll get a good portion of your money back. So we made a claim on the title company and she did get uh, the majority of her money back. But you have to be really careful with that. Okay, so I guess here's some final thoughts. Um, the Okay, the, the final thought is I should tell you that your uncle's will may be contentious. A codicil insists that it be read on Jerry Springer. Now, Jerry Springer is not, my, my producer over here is shrugging her shoulders. Who's Jerry Springer? But anyway, it's, uh, it's a lot like that in this whole process. But like I said, if you kind of know the way to navigate through it, 
then you can be prepared for some of these pitfalls and um, issues that you might otherwise overlook. I guess I'll hand it over, back over to Jeff now and I hope to see all of you again soon uh, on my series, which will be going on every Monday in July. Thank you. All right, thank you so much, um, Gilene, for that wonderful session. And I'm just looking at, um, oh, there. So um, here are the contact details of uh, Gilene. Let me just try to copy that for a moment. All right, so I'm just having troubles in in uh, in navigating this uh, this slide because I don't have my second screen yet, not yet ready, but. Uh, let me just go back to the screen. Okay, so there I have posted um, Gaylene's contact number and email address. So if you have um, questions um, to Gaylene, let's say you forgot to ask that within this session or you remember the question by tomorrow or the next day, so you can just save the number and the email address and reach out to Gaylene. And Yes, there will be a recording to be sent after this session. So it will be, if it's not by tomorrow, anytime within this week, an email will be sent to everyone, including the links of the recording of this session. So if you want to go back to what Gaylene has talked about within the session, um, just wait for the email or contact our customer service and uh, we will reach out to you and they will send you a link or an email regarding the session of this, this session. So there again, this session is brought to you by Real Estate IQ, the number one in deal finding, providing you with more than 45,000 leads every month. And we guarantee you that you will always find a deal with Real Estate IQ. And again, if um, the poll is still up, so if you wanted to have a 45 minute one-on-one -on -one, uh, deal finding training with Real Estate IQ, all you have to do is answer the poll and uh, we will be reaching out to you and give you a schedule on when can you have this one-on-one -on -one deal finding training. Oh, I missed that slide. So <laughs> let me just pause it for a moment. Why did I even double click that? <laughs> <laughs> there, so by answering our polls, you can, uh, you can be eligible to to win the raffle, which is every week, every Monday. So we will be drawing the winners for um, our freebies, which is a discounted deals heat map or a pre-foreclosure deal heat map or any of our services. So we will be reaching out to you. We'll be posting it to our social media platforms and we will be sending you an email if you won the, the raffle. So let me just uh, pull up the poll again. So if you wanted to have updates on our sessions or our webinars every day, you can answer this poll so you, we can know how you want it to be um, contacted. So you can have an update of our sessions. And again, please join our community. That's realestateiq.co and join um, Gaylene's group in our community entitled Unique and Rare Real, Real Estate Situation. So. Um, you have the contact details of Gaylene and also you can join this group, um, post some questions or reach out to people within this group. So you can, you can do even uh, networking within, uh, within the community and within the group 
So um, now is the right time as well to post your questions. So as I can see here, yeah, we have one question from Jacinda Shaw. Yes, I see. So you're asking, that's a great question. Uh, you're asking what happens if there's a squatter on the property as you're waiting on the title company to get their work done where it can be sold. How do you get that resolved? So I'm assuming you're talking about, you're talking about someone that's not related to the parties that are trying to sell it. Um, it it's unfortunate, but all you can do, well, that is kind of interesting because really all you can do is evict them. But that's, there's some difficulty there because you're not yet the of record owner. But I believe you could go ahead and start the eviction process in any event uh, as a family member and you should be able to uh, ultimately get them evicted so that at that point then the um, transaction can take place. Or you can wait until after the transaction has taken place and the buyer can have the responsibility of handling the eviction. I've, I've dealt with it both ways, um, but I've had some bad, <laughs> some bad consequences for some buyers who, who took on the responsibility for that. Uh, more so, um, more so the issue I've seen a lot of is where the family member has been living in there that is one of the heirs, but doesn't want to move out when all the other heirs want them to move out. So that you would really just have to wait because he's also, uh, that person is also potentially an owner of the property. So you would have to wait until after the sale takes place and that buyer would have to evict him. Some buyers are not willing to do that. If the deal's good enough, a lot are. Great, thank you so much. Y'all have uh, any more questions? Yeah, so um, and everyone, if you have additional questions, you can just post it in, in the chat box. So while waiting for your questions, um, we also have the Successful Habits Book Club, which, um, which is happening every Wednesdays at 5 p.m. So there I have posted it in the chat box as well. The links that you can copy to your computer or even after this session, you can uh, register through those links. And we also have the geeks and nerds in real estate. So um, with the geeks and nerds, we will be tackling about um, information technology that can help your business to, to grow. So, and also we have the real estate investing hot trends, which is every Thursdays at 5 p.m. So Steve, our CEO, will be talking about a lot of um, tips on what are the latest trends in the real estate and how can it help your business. Before we end the session, any final words for today, Gaylene? Well, I appreciate everyone um, joining us for this. Um, this is one of my favorite talks to give because uh, if you know how to, how to work the process, it can be very successful for investors. Um, but uh, I appreciate everybody coming and please look, look forward to our next uh, webinar next Monday. Yeah, again, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. And thank you so much, Gaylene, for your time and giving us wonderful information about real estate laws. 
And just like what Galen have said, every Mondays, everyone, every Mondays at 6 o'clock p.m. Uh, Central Time, join us. So if you have questions for from this session or also for real estates, like let's say links that you need for registering to Galen's session next week, feel free to reach out our customer service and we will help you and, and, and answer to your questions immediately. So again, everyone, thank you so much for your time. Happy deal finding. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.